All right, I think I'm rolling. Can you all hear me? All right. So, new place. This is kind of cool. Wow, I feel like I'm way up high here. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. So, it's good to be here again. Uh, I do love uh, the Mingi family. And uh, they're just sweet people, and I know you guys know that. Um, I'm trying to help Jeff because he's so straight-laced, so I try to send him as many dad jokes as I can. And, uh, you know, my wife hates my dad jokes, but she just doesn't have good taste. So, yeah, so, uh, you know, whatever works, right? When does a joke become a dad joke? When it becomes a parent. All right, I had to start with one. So you laughed. You're like, that's horrible, but you laughed. So it's okay to laugh. Uh, listen, uh, we're going to be talking today. Uh, I've got three or four passages we're going to be in. Uh, I'm going to read three for you at the beginning. You can write them down. I'm just laying a little groundwork. We're going to talk about a guy in particular, and I just kind of want you to know who he is. And then we'll go from there. And um, I know that... Uh, we all have a busy time. School's back in session, obviously, and uh, I, I just am excited about you guys being in this location. I feel like the Lord opened it up for you, and the fact that we're here this morning is a testimony to His providence and His provision. And so I thank the Lord that, that this space has been provided uh, for, for Catalyst. And so the other place was great. It worked for a while, but you guys are moving along, and so I just think it's awesome. So If you have your word, turn to Colossians 4, and just get ready to flip around just a little bit until we land on our passage for the day. But Colossians 4, and I want to read for you verse 14, and just kind of bear with me as we walk through this. It says, Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demos, or Demos, however you want to say it, Send you greetings. Now, go over to the book of Philemon. And there's only one chapter in Philemon. And we're going to look at verse 24 in the book of Philemon, or Philemon, however you want to say it. Where I'm from, we say Philemon. Uh, 24, and it says this. um, I lost my place. Here we go. Mark, Aristarchus, Demas... And Luke, my co-workers. So we see Demas twice, right? Now go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. I'll go ahead and throw 9 in since we're there. Maybe 11 too. It says this, 2 Timothy 4, 9. Make every effort to come to me soon because Demas has, what's the word? Deserted me, left me, whatever your version says, deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. What's going on with these guys? Um, A lot. And we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. Anybody here tempted by the world? We're going to go to 1 John today, and I'm going to read for you 
a couple of verses out of that, and that's going to be the main text. But I want you to think about this backdrop that we have of Demas. At one point, he was with him, with Paul, and then he wasn't. And that happens to us frequently, right? Do you ever know someone who started out with you in ministry or doing something with you, and then they got, um, I don't know what the word is, sidetracked by something in the world? And then next thing you know, they're not with you anymore. They're not with the ministry. They're doing something else. Don't be too critical of them because it happens to you and it happens on a daily basis. We have to fight this all the time. We're going to talk about a word that I think is an ugly word. And oftentimes when we use this word, it's applied to one category. But that's the word lust. Say that with me, lust. Right? When we think of lust, what automatically for a lot of us just immediately comes to mind. Of uh, what nature? You can say the word. Sexual nature, right? Oh, he's got lust. Well, automatically sexual nature. It can be that. Oftentimes it is that, but it's not limited to that. Lust is a general attitude. It's a craving. It's a desire. It leads to uh, idolatry. You cannot have idolatry, which is the worship of anything besides God, It's putting something else in the place that only God should have in your life. That's idolatry. You can commit idolatry in a moment's time, or you can commit it over a lifetime. I would dare say that most of us throughout the day of any given day of our life, even yet this morning, have had idolatry. I know that because as I was driving down here, I passed a beautiful Jeep Cherokee. I'm kind of looking for one, thinking about buying one, and it was gorgeous, and I coveted this Jeep in my heart, except it had a Virginia Tech sticker on it. (laughs) I don't care, I just threw that in there for fun. But I coveted this Jeep, and I'm just telling you in that moment, what was I doing? By coveting, what's that word that we just said that begins with the L? Lust, I was lusting after this vehicle, and at the end of the day, who cares if I had this vehicle or not, right? In a moment, I may think I care, but honestly, it's not that big of a deal, right? All right, go to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to read verse 15 through 17, and we're just going to pack these two verses as much as we can in the time that's allotted. What time do I need to be done, Jeff? I didn't ask you that. 30 minutes from now? Okay. I'll try. All right. <laughs> 1 John 2, 15 through 17, it says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world with its lusts is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. Already I can feel some of you going, ouch. It's that kind of verse. It's that kind of passage that we're reading here. And we're going to just go back to 15 now and begin to unpack this. Let's start with the very first five words. Do not love the world. That goes counterculture to what we're taught right now, right? Like we love everything. We love everybody. 
It's not talking about people. It's talking about what this world has to offer. Everything on this planet, every single thing on this planet is fading and passing away as we speak. Your house, where you live, your car. I was reminded of that this morning. I have a beautiful 2016 Nissan Sentra. Slate gray. I picked it out myself. Okay? I'd saved money for it, and I paid cash for it. You say, dude, it's just a Nissan Sentra. I get that. But it's the first car I paid outright for, no debt. It gets 37 miles to the gallon. In my job, when I drive it, I get 58 cents a mile on it. My son, who's now in college, when we bought the car, said, Dad, your car's not very sexy. I said, let me redefine sexy for you. Your mother, my wife, is a banker. She saves money all the time for us. I just bought a car where we have no payment, high mileage, and I get paid 58 cents a mile in it for every mile I go. And I said, son, it doesn't get sexier than that. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? It's my car. There's no bank on the title. It's my car. And I know it's just a Nissan Sentra, but this proves the point. It became a pride of life issue for me with this dumb Sentra. Is it a Ferrari? No. Is it a Porsche? No. Is it a fill-in-the-blank whatever pushes your buttons? No. Okay, maybe your button is a hybrid electric something, leaf, I don't know. (laughs) Here's the point, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. But it became a pride of life for me, issue for me. You know what now? I bought that car with less than 10,000 miles on it. It now has 70,000 miles on it. It has two dings in the windshield because I'm on I-95 all the time, and so I have two little rock dings in the windshield. It has another part where some person, bless their heart, while I was shopping at Aldi, scraped down the side of the car. Uh, It has a spot on the trunk where one time I put my backpack there when I was unloading some stuff, and then I grabbed it and I slid the 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 backpack and it had some little plastic things on the bottom and it just created a nice little scuff you know on the trunk lid and inside it looks absolutely crazy because I live in that car and so I chew sunflower seeds and so there's some sunflower seeds in the carpet and all that you get what I'm saying this car that I once kind of coveted after is what it's fading away At the rate I'm driving now, in two years, it's going to have over 100,000 miles on it. And already, I've only had the car for two years, and already I have noticed in my heart I'm lusting after other what? Cars to replace it. It's idolatry. It's a love affair with the world. I live 50 miles south of the White House. I'm in D.C. all the time. And you talk about a town where there's lust of power and lust of status and lust of financial gain 
and lust after position and control. And DC doesn't have the corner on that market. It's right here in Hampton Roads, and it's in a town of 400 people somewhere where there's not even really a post office. It doesn't matter. All those things exist everywhere. And if I can be perfectly honest with you, they exist in this room right now in our very hearts of all of us who are here together at this moment. I didn't hear an amen. Right? Do not love the world or the things in the world. If you do, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Look at verse 16. For, and then what's the word? I want to hear it. You got to say it. In the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. I saw this again yesterday. I'm going to give you lots of, uh, of examples in my own life. Last night, my wife and I had a date night, so we went to see the Downton Abbey movie, which if you haven't seen, it's really good. I'm not here to promote that. I'm just giving you that as a freebie. It's a great movie. It's a good date movie. Anyway, after that, we didn't have any of our children with us, which is rare. We got to go to a restaurant and eat and not have to share any food with anybody, which was awesome. And I took her to Chewy's. And then we went to this place that's big and huge and blue and yellow. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Ikea. <laughs> which I hate. And man, I mean, I was getting brownie points like crazy last night because we went to the Downton Abbey movie. Then I took her to a Tex-Mex restaurant she likes, and then I took her to Ikea. I didn't know Ikea was part of the bargain as we begin the night. It's just one of those things that popped up at dinner. You know where we should go after dinner tonight? And I'm thinking, yeah, down a dark country lane because we don't have our kids. Just being real with you. I'm 51. I got to take my moments when I get them, right? She said, no, let's go to Ikea. I said, that sounds awesome. Let's go to Ikea. So we get to Ikea, and we're there with all these, in Northern Virginia, let me just describe the people who come into Ikea, okay? They're from New Jersey, Delaware, uh, D.C., or Maryland, okay? They're in their hemp jeans with their Birkenstocks on. I look like a fish out of water, okay? But here's what happened when I was there. She was talking about some things that we need. We have this couch that we've had for, I don't know how many years, a long time. In the past, we had a cat, and the cat tr treated the back of the couch as a scratching post, right? And at the time, this was one of those couches that we ordered, and I used to have a job before I went to ministry, and I made some decent money. And we paid like $2,800 for this couch several years ago, and already it's ready to go to the sidewalk. It's ready to go somewhere. Like, I wouldn't donate it anywhere because, you know, sometimes we donate things to nonprofits because we're too lazy to take them to the dump, right? So I would not do that. 
And as we began to look and sit on couches, I noticed this feeling, what am I preaching on this morning, right? So every time the Lord puts something on my heart to preach on, I get tested on it for at least the whole week leading up to the sermon. So all week I've been tested with lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, all week. And it showed up at dumb Ikea last night that I hate. And it was little things. Look at that lamp. Look at that couch. Look how, oh man, we need to redecorate our kitchen. We need to do this and that and this and that. Now hear me clearly. There's nothing wrong in and of itself with some of those things at all. We all live places. We all need furniture unless you're going to sit on the floor. I get it. But what I'm confessing to you is in my heart, I went beyond that to idol worship and covetousness. And I passed the, the line of usefulness and thinking about things like that into desire of my heart, into uh, this is pride of life. This is, I want that in a way that was unhealthy and sinful and in that moment, God didn't even exist in my universe in those moments because God will not share you with things like that. And it was Ikea. It wasn't Beverly Hills. It wasn't, I don't know, for me it'd be Bass Pro. I know some of you are rolling your eyes at that, okay? It was just Ikea. And I saw lamps that looked cool. And all of a sudden, I started thinking about all these things that before I didn't think about in my house. Gosh, I wish we could replace that lamp. But now that I see that lamp, I want to replace this one and spend resources on it. It became an idol. I'm not finished. If you love your flesh... If you feed your eyes, if you have pride in what you own, Scripture is clear in verse 16, the love of the Father is not in you. And last night, that whole time I was in Kia, the love of the Father was nowhere in me. I'm not saying I wasn't saved. I'm not saying that God didn't love me, but that was not operating in my heart. I begin to look at the people. They're not as people, as fellow human beings, but you're in my way. Let's talk about lust of the flesh. I'm going to make it very real with you, and some of you are going to hate me for this, but I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. You know when a lot of times the lust of the flesh really rears its ugly head? Is with this little four-letter word that begins with F and it's called food. I know, I can hear you now. Is it wrong to enjoy food? No. God gave us things like that to enjoy. Is it wrong to desire certain kinds of food? Not necessarily, but it is when it crosses the line and goes away from self-discipline into self-harm and you begin to lust after that. Can you lust after food? Yes, you can. I know that to be true. I ate breakfast this morning at Hardee's because I left the house late. 
And I'm doing a low-carb thing, right? So I just get some meat and the eggs. I know it's not healthy, but don't judge me. You just do your own thing. <laughs> As I'm sitting here in the service begin, I already begin to think, I wonder what I'm going to do for lunch today. And I begin to think about what's around here, and I've got this option and this option and this option, and I kind of... You know, no one's with me, and I gotta kind of hurry and get back to Fredericksburg. So, I could go eat here and get that particular. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sitting here in God's God's sanctuary, getting ready to preach out of the Bible, and my thoughts are already occupied with what I'm going to eat for lunch, and who cares? Who cares? We eat to live. We don't live to eat. And we draw distinctions between it. The last church where I was pastoring, I had a lot of people in my church that worked in the entertainment industry, and I'm not singling anybody out, but I guess I'm kind of singling somebody out. I don't mean to. But they, I had a lot of people in my church who were smokers. And in between our Sunday school hour, or whatever you want to call it, Sunday school is not the hip term anymore, life groups, whatever. And the worship service, in the parking lot, people would go outside and smoke cigarettes. Now bear in mind, six months earlier, these people were in meth addiction recovery programs and AA, and some of them had just got out of prison. And frankly, I didn't care if they were smoking or not. That was not on my radar to be worried about them. What I didn't want them to do is relapse into meth and heroin and leave their family. Okay, but anyway, so I went and bought, I was the pastor of the church and it was a smaller church and I went and bought those can things that you put sand in or whatever and you can put your cigarette butts in and I put them by the door of the church and I'm just here to tell you, there was a whole section of that church that you would have thought that I invited elephants in and run around in the sanctuary or something when I did that. They were mortified and they came to me and one of them in particular, let's call her... Nancy. Nancy came to me and said, Pastor, I can't believe you did that. And I said, why? Now keep in mind during the week, who was the person that was there picking up all the cigarette butts out of the parking lot? Okay. She goes, you're advocating smoking. When you put that out there, you said it was okay to smoke. And I said, Nancy, no, I'm just tired of picking up cigarette butts. And I began to explain that over time, through discipleship and other things, hopefully these guys will quit smoking. But frankly, I'm not concerned about that at this point. I just want to make sure they're saved and that they're staying home and taking care of their families and not going back to drugs and things like that. And she wouldn't let it go. And finally, I looked at her. Now, bear in mind, Nancy was about good 70, 80 pounds overweight. And before I knew it, out fly the words out of my mouth, Nancy, what's the difference between those cigarettes and the five Big Macs you eat every week? I know it doesn't sound like it, but honestly, I said it in love. I just had a heart attack. When I'd had my heart attack, as I've told you guys before, and I'm not going to bore you with that story again, but I was almost 100 pounds overweight when I had my heart attack. And I knew what her eating lifestyle was doing to her body was no worse than what the cigarettes were doing to the people who were smoking them. Same thing. But in our warped way of thinking, she was thinking this one's worse than this one. 
But they're both lust of the flesh because they're desires of the flesh that are sinful. Right? Unless you think I'm a hypocrite, yesterday at the movie, my wife and I split a large tub of popcorn and a large pib. But we did it in moderation. And even today, after eating that, which I normally don't eat that, guess what? All cravings are all stirred up now because yesterday I allowed myself to have a little bit of popcorn and a soda. The sneaky thing about lust of the flesh is it invades every single part of our life and it's small and it's big and there's no difference. Whether you lust after a person or you lust after a thing... It's rooted in the same sin, which is lust of the flesh. I fight it every time I go into Bass Pro and I love to fish. That's my downtime. That's my relaxing time. And I see all the boats and the new fishing rods. And I was lusting after a fishing rod the other day. And my wife, in that beautiful, sensitive, soft way that she has, I'm rolling my eyes, said, what about the six fishing rods you already have in our garage? Lust of the flesh. Here's where lust of the eyes comes in. It can come in if you sexually lust after a person, but also when you see something. Like when I saw that Jeep today and it looked beautiful and it had a cool color and it had awesome tires and I just saw me and my wife in it and I had really long hair like Fabio in this vision, right? And the top was down and we're driving up a beach somewhere and the wind's blowing and there's, you know, Pink Floyd in the background and her and I are looking at each other, you know? Lust of the eyes. You see a house that you think you want. You see something and when you see it, you desire it and it becomes almost obsessive and it overrides your judgment with the Lord and it overrides his Holy Spirit's work in your life. And before you know it, you've unseated Christ on the throne of your life and you've put this thing on the throne of your life. If I were to buy that Jeep, and I'm not saying it's wrong to buy a Jeep, do not put words in my mouth, I'm not saying. But if I were to buy that because I lusted after it and I coveted it five years from now, what am I gonna probably do when I look at that Jeep? It's all right, but it's not like that one. We can even turn the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and couch it in something good like health. I'm a chaplain at a hospital in Fredericksburg at Spotsy Regional Hospital, and it's a volunteer position. A friend of mine is the CEO of the hospital. He had a, several chaplains, none of who were gospel-based. And he looked at me one day and said, Vince, will you help me build a voluntary chaplain corps here that is gospel-based? And so I prayed about it and said, yes, I will. And we've started to do that at this hospital. And they're volunteers, so I can do that because we don't pay them one dime. But I, I go into that hospital, and a lot of the staff, the doctors, the nurses, some of them are absolutely health fanatics. And I'm not saying it's wrong to be healthy, but they're pouring 
every spare minute of their resources, both time and financial, into improving the health of their body when our bodies are dying every second of every day. That heartbeat that just went by in your body puts you one heartbeat closer to dying and this body decaying right now. Should we be good stewards of our bodies? Yes. Should we bypass the pizza buffet line occasionally and eat a salad? Yes. Occasionally, if we are able, should we take the stairs instead of the elevators? Yes. Should we drink water? Yes. Should we make sure we get enough sleep? Yes, but we should do all these things with the perspective that this body that we're investing in one day will die and become trash. I know this because in the last 10 days at that hospital, I've had four code blues that I've worked as the assistant or the uh, volunteer chaplain. I work ICU, ER, and behavioral health units. So I get all the fun stuff. I get all the suicides. I get all the car wrecks. I get all the massive heart attacks or strokes and they're in their end of life issues. I get all the hospice stuff. But here's what I know. All four of these people died. They all passed away. And only one of them was over 60, just so you know. One was from an overdose that was accidental. Two were massive heart attacks, and one was complications from cancer. I was in the room when all four people died. And I stayed in the room because my job is to support the staff... Even those doctors who seem stone cold and have ice water in their veins, in moments like that, that comes down. And the nurses, in some cases, have been caring for those patients for several weeks and they become attached. And so they begin, those walls that they've built up around themselves to be strong and callous begin to come down at that moment. And then I get the family. And one of the patients, her wife, his wife, works at the hospital and was there on duty when her husband came into the ER. And it was awful. So I get to deal with all that. And my job is to pray. My job is to look for opportunities to comfort them in any way I can. My job is ultimately to look for ways to share the gospel with them in those moments. But here's what I've noticed about in those situations. Two of those situations, they were completely unconscious and there was no interaction from the patients. They were completely intubated on life support and there was no communication at all. Some of the other ones, they were able to communicate. And here's what I've, ne- I've, I've been doing chaplaincy work since 1996. So what's that, 23 years? I have never heard this in the final, final moments of somebody's life when they're getting ready to die, whether they're saved or not. I've never heard these words. Boy, I sure wish I worked harder. I sure am glad I bought that Jeep. I sure am glad that we got that couch from Ikea. Boy, I'm really glad that we stressed ourselves financially to get that house that we wanted. I really am glad I I went and got all that education so I could have this job. Here's what happens in those moments. Everything that they thought was important fades away and the things that should have been truly important in their lives surface. But guess what? It's too late. I've heard people say, I wish I could go back now and redo my 
relationship with my wife or my children or my mother or my brother. And they can't. And they've bypassed all the things that were important that God wanted to do in their lives. They bypassed them because they were so focused on the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of their possessions that when they get to those awful moments that their life is on this earth is drawing to a close and they realize that they forfeited everything to go after things that were fading away that were not permanent and they bypassed what is permanent, which is relationships with God and relationships with people. And it was too late. And here's the other thing I've noticed, this flesh that we give so much care and attention to, and not everyone's like me where you have natural beauty. Some of you have to work really hard at it. Jeff Mingy. <laughs> here's what I've noticed. Within three minutes of death, the cuticles on the fingernails and the toes begin to draw back. The entire complexion of the skin changes. All the warmth and heat of the body is left and that corpse is ice cold. There's absolutely no movement of any kind. And this thing that we feed all the time and crave after and protect and do all this stuff becomes a decaying, rotting thing. You say, I don't like that. That's morbid. It's not morbid. It's called perspective. It's okay to be a good steward, but don't sell your soul for something that is already dead. That's tweetable, by the way. <laughs> Do you have pride in your possessions? You don't have to be a rich person, by the way, or a wealthy person to suffer from these things. People who are what we would call impoverished suffer from them just as much as some person working in Wall Street right now that's filled with greed. The world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. I'm going to close with this. I gave you some morbid stories of being in a room passing, you know, when someone's passing away and they had forfeited their life on things that didn't matter. But I have been in the room when people have passed away that did not do that and they followed the Lord and they were faithful servants of the Lord and they had not allowed this world to pollute them. I'm not saying they were perfect because none of us are but by and large, they remained faithful to the Lord and they pursued after what was important to him. And they allowed the Lord's work in their life to create in them a clean heart and a clean mind. And they had the right perspective and some were wealthy and some were poor. But I have had several times when people are getting ready to pass from this earth and it's down to the wire. And here's what happens. There's no regret. There's not even sadness, really. There is from the family, but not the person themselves. And I've had a few occasions 
where someone, I don't know what they were seeing in those final moments, but they were seeing something that was beautiful because it was obvious on their face and the way they gasped and the way they reached out their hands towards something. And they were seeing beyond what, they were seeing what the Lord has for us beyond all this temporary stuff. And they were looking to where they were going. And it was a time of absolute worship and beauty. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. Even though I still struggle with it at times because I, I have a propensity, and I'm just being honest with you because we're all friends here, I have a propensity for materialism. But I don't want to waste the time that I have Pursuing things that just don't matter. And I don't want to be Demas. And I don't want to be on God's plan, in God's will, moving in the direction that he wants me to do, and I forfeit it because of the lust of my eyes, the lust of my flesh, and the pride of my possessions. Maybe that's you. Maybe I'm just here to preach to myself, although I doubt it. If the Lord's blessed you with the resources, don't feel guilty. But here's what I am going to encourage that you do. One, pursue time with the Lord and make sure that you're in his will. And then if he's given you resources, ask him why. And what he wants you to do with them. For the kingdom. And when the time comes and you need a car. Maybe buy one that's good and useful. And spend less than on what you normally would spend on yourself. And give the excess to God's kingdom somehow. Maybe begin learning to tell yourself this word that we all hate occasionally, which is the word no. Vince, I know you want that. I know that you desire this thing, but through prayer and through God's spirit, you're feeling that check in your spirit. You're feeling that resistance to that. So no. Even though you want that, no. And then see what the Lord does with it. We're going to pray. We're getting ready to have communion. And I just encourage you, before you leave today, to just begin to ask the Lord. Here I am. The other other word that we hate in the Bible, it says that we are slaves to God. I know for us, slavery, slaves, that's negative. It's, It's... It's just an ugly word, but when it comes to us being slaves to God, it's a beautiful thing because he really has purchased us, and we're getting ready to celebrate that, but he purchased us with his broken body and his spilled out blood, and he bought us. He bought our soul, rescued us from hell and eternity and damnation, and now he's given us everything that he has to offer us.
And so being a slave to the Lord is a beautiful thing. All we need to do now is act like it.